Hi everyone, you're listening to the Bialucci Podcast. Uncensored and completely unedited discussions about life and everything in it. We hope you enjoy the show. And we are here with John Higgins. Hooray! He's back. Hello. I'm back. The long-awaited arrival. With I'm Higgins. back. Yes, I'm back. Um, <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, nobody's noticed my t-shirt, which I'm slightly annoyed about. I was going to comment. Oh, okay. Nostromo. Yeah. I was going to You know. The company from Alien. I'm not slightly offensive to ask you what's a low-level well, question. The, like. it's, it's the ship. Then the ship is Nostromo, but it's actually well. I would, I would, I was hoping there'd be Wayland Corporation on there, which is the <laughs> goddamn company. <laughs> you know, Wayland Eterna. Yeah, yeah. I forgot what it's aliens. Isn't alien, it? alien. Yeah. Do the, they? Does that company follow through the Alien films? I've given up on them, so I don't know. Alien Predator and all that. Is it well, no. Um, Nostromo was the ship in the very first one. In the second yeah. one, it was the Sulaco, which oh, was the, oh, the military Sulaco. one. Um, but the Nostromo was described as an oil, a, a space um, hopping oil rig. And it was described by the designers that it was like an 18-wheel truck that takes 15 miles to slow down and four miles to turn right. Okay. Um, also, it was a low-level machine. It wasn't like an advanced yeah. thing. But it, was, but it was part of the design um, by you know, Ridley Scott, because he wanted a very cathedral style for Alien. And um, I think in terms of design, I think Alien is probably the finest science fiction film of the 70s in terms of design. Um, and I do, I, I love that movie. Um, I think it's one of the most influential, along with Blade Runner as well. So, um, but it's a very real um, yeah. movie, very grounded. And it's a... So, we're doing sci-fi movies. We are, yes. Sci-fi movies. Um Actually, me and Alex did, when uh, we met the other day, we were discussing, is Aliens a sci-fi movie? Yes, or? it is a sci-fi. It's not a horror movie. It's, it's or a, is it Alien? It's a, science, it's a science fiction and horror film. You know, they, uh, you know. Is that a genre too? Or yeah. Is, yeah so, okay. but, but, you know, you can cross over genres. As, as, it's also a suspense film as well. You know, it's like. What would be another horror sci-fi film? The Thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, John Carpenter's thing, which yeah. um, I think in light of what's been going on in the world, I think the thing is probably the most frightening and real prospect because in the thing, Blair, who's the doctor, he or the, the scientist, he actually does this computer analysis and says, if this organism features infected air, populated areas of 36,000. Now, you look at coronavirus, I mean, this is quite a scary, this is quite a scary prospect. And I think that was what was missing. That was what people missed the point about when it was first released in 82 because we were a bit more naive. I mean, it came out two or three weeks after E.T. But it's a very, you know, I think it's a wonderfully, um, I think it's as good as Alien, if not better than, I mean, I, th I remember. It's on I, a par, isn't it? It's a yeah. But I also remember when we did the horror podcast, I also named it. I think I said that it was the greatest horror film of the 80s for me. Why did it get panned when it came out? Well, it was people weren't ready for it because they there was a sense that it was a little too downbeat and real because um, according to one story, John Carpenter went to a test screening of the thing and somebody said at the end, well, what happened there? What was the thing? And he says, well, that's the point. You're never supposed to find it. Right, and this yeah. audience member says, I hate that because the rule was the audience hated uncertainty. Okay. So the problem was it was also down to the... the um, a guy from university who wanted the film to go out in the summer. Um, John Carpenter was a bit worried because they'd been working on it for a year and horror films at that time were actually not doing all that well. Oh. So he went to Robert Remy, who was head of marketing at Universal, and he said, look, we, we need to, re it might be better if you release this in the autumn and call it Who There Goes There. And he said, no, no, we're going out in, that, in the summer, we want that title. And they, they the marketing campaign was two versions there was man is the warmest place to hide and the ultimate in alien terror now the interpretation was people thought it was going to be a bit like alien now it's a it's don't get me wrong it's it's very when did, different when did alien come out alien came out in the summer of 1979 the thing came out in june of 1982 oh so i would have thought it'd be more popular would alien would have set the tone for that sort of thing yeah but is it because et came out yeah so it, it made everything seem a lot worse well et et was a very cuddly alien which everybody loved i mean another story was <laughs> apparently um universal didn't think it was going to do that well i mean it cost about five million to make and spielberg just did it as a like a loving thought and then all of a sudden like with star wars it was timing and it came out and it did very very well i mean it 
I mean, I'm, it's not one of my favourite Spielberg films. I mean, I when I saw it in December 82, I, I thought, I can't get on with this. How and old I, were you? I was about... Th- yeah, forget it. You don't 13. <laughs> I was about 13. But, oh, 13. Um, oh, okay, right. But I also feel it was the fact that I was in a, in a cinema full of, like, screaming and, and very enthusiastic girls from an local girls' school. I think that this, this local school had organised the girls' school trip. Um. So you didn't know what to focus on. The yeah. Film <laughs> but, um, well, yeah, well, I, I was very, very shy and sweaty, but, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, but that, that's it. It's, it's a very, um, you know, I, I think now it's, it's sort of like Blade Runner. It's become a real yeah. yardstick. Right. So let, what, what, what's the show today? What's the subject? Okay. Matter? So what I've done is I've used, it's going to be a reflection and celebration of, the decades that are there. So we're looking at fifties to the nineties, but before we start, just a bit of context is the, what I love about science fiction is that it's thought provoking. It's all ages. It's crossover. And it's, um, it's also misunderstood because people, you know, when science fiction comes out, a lot of people, you know, if people like independence or art house movies, you know, you know, they think, Oh, well it's star Wars. I don't like star Wars. I don't want to see that. But then, you know, people will go and watch a movie like Tarkovsky's Solaris. Now, Solaris is a really great thought-provoking movie. It was remade with George Clooney yeah, um, by Steven say, yeah. Soderbergh. But the original Tarkovsky version is a very fascinating movie because it's about a space station called Solaris who they orbit this planet. And the planet actually sort of invokes this kind of psychological effect on the, pe- the inhabitants of the station. Um, it's extraordinary. I think it's, you know, Tarkovsky's stuff, you're never quite sure what he's doing because, you know, you watch like Stalker and you think, what the fuck was that? <laughs> but Solaris actually is the most, yeah. um, I think in terms of his, it's his most accomplished. I mean, it's been regarded as the Russian 2001. Okay, so. What year did that come out? 1972. So it was actually around the is same. It, is it different from the modern one? It's, well, it's longer. Oh, okay. It's well. about, it's two hours it's something like two hours 50 or something, oh, two right. hours 40. But Solaris, the, the American version, which was produced by James Cameron, was, is about 95, 90 minutes. But it still keeps the essential oh. essence of it. So um, just going back. So I, the seven films I, I've picked are like in the 1950s. There's When Worlds Collide, the 1953 version of War of the Worlds, This Island Earth, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Day the Earth Stood Still, which I saw the other day and is still brilliant today. Forbidden Planet and The Thing from Another World. So in terms of the 50s stuff, a lot of it was very slick. Um, It was a perception of what people wanted to do. It was before the moonwalk. And we we had this idea that by the end of the 70s, we'd all be on Mars. But of course, you know, the logistics of what films are. Um, I mean, my pick of this one, um, I think, is This Island Earth, which is a really fantastic cult film from the 50s. I haven't heard of this, so who's in this? Okay, so it's there isn't really any name actors, but what the the story is, is um, they're sort of, there are scientists trying to create, um, do tests on um, lead or uranium. And all of a sudden they get this message, they get these, Boxes delivered, which are of this weird communications device. So, what year did you say this was? Nineteen fifty-five. Was it one of those? There's a general and a good-looking scientist and a woman. Oh, so you? It's it it's a typical thing. <laughs> so, kind of. There is a lot of so, time spent labs. So, the yeah. rev- revelation is is that actually the this device which they speak to somebody on actually belongs to an alien from a distant planet called Metaluna. And what they want is they want to recruit the humans in a war against these uh, beings called the Zygons. That's all you really need to know. The great thing about this is, is the visual effects more than are an equal for some of the films that you've seen recently. There's this, there's wonderful, these meatiest stuff, some backdrops. Black and white. It's color. Oh, and it was one of the first science fiction films that I ever saw. In, and I saw it um, when I was about eight or nine, and I saw it as part of three films that were on BBC. There was When Worlds Collide, which I'll talk about in a minute, and Conquest of Space. When Worlds Collide is actually, remember Deep Impact? Yeah. This was actually a forerunner of that. So it's essentially um, the end of the world, two plant, you know. Oh, is that where they, they have the spaceships? Yeah, the space, and, and it's got, and there's a, there's like, it, it's kind of like Noah's Ark. Yeah. You know, and they, they, they have to build this Noah's Ark and there's a lottery for places that go up. And 
it was one of the, it was one of um, George Powell's films. So George Powell produced the 1953 version of War of the Worlds, but it's absolutely spectacular because it's if you if you weren't that keen on Armageddon, go and see When Worlds Collide. It is the template for okay. films like Armageddon. Um, I'm going to mention War of the Worlds, which is which is probably the, one of the most unfaithful adaptations of a Wells novel. And I get really pissed off because even the 2005 version with Tom Cruise, actually, um, you know, they did a, a recent version which sort of went down like a lead balloon, which was a British version. Oh, was it BBC or something? Yeah. yeah. And oh, they yeah. never quite got it right. But the book, the weird thing is, H.G. Wells' original novel, which is my favorite book of all time, it's so descriptive. It's a wonderful book. First person. I mean, the the Spielberg version scripted by David Cobb is actually more faithful, although it's New Jersey and it's more a reflection. Which was the Spielberg one, not the Tom Cruise one? It was, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the idea is, is they they kind of took the uh, the elements of nine eleven and stuff. The, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, for example, was another kind of influenced by the nine eleven thing. Um, but the original nineteen fifty one version is fun because. Um, what makes me laugh is there's, um, I mean, there's a very funny, um, exchange between Gene Barry and Anne Robinson where he goes, he goes, Anne Robinson, Sylvia Vember, and she goes, he goes, where, where were you doing? He goes, oh, I was doing fishing up in the hills. And she goes, you must've caught plenty with all that tackle. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the, the stupid thing is, is there's, um, this meteor sort of crashes down near this small town and, it's radioactive. And then all of a sudden the townsfolk are saying, oh, we've got to put up some picnic tables and stuff like that. And you're thinking, there's a bloody radioactive <laughs> meteor. But the visual effects, I mean, the opening 25 minutes where the, you know, the scene where the, the manta ray emerges from the meteor and then burns everybody. And then that first space battle, um, the first battle between the military and the, you know, the, the three, the manta ray aliens is just, incredible the, the effects won an oscar in 1953 and it was actually the independent well it, it was one of the biggest hits of 1952 um i'll have to look for inflation adjusted dollars um i must also mention invasion of the body snatches the don siegel version uh, which was basically influenced by the mccarthy era because the paranoia in the small town is that your favorite version of that film or i love the 78 version I mean, I have seen the, the, the Abel Ferrara 1990 version. But so it's, it's okay. Yeah. But, you know, but the, the Philip Kaufman version actually was tapping into the Watergate thing. And I do love it for the, you know, I think also Leonard Nimoy. It's, it's a, sort of impossible <laughs> to watch him as this psychologist. But the trouble is you're always looking at the ears. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but he's actually, but it's got a great cast. He's got Donald Sutherland. We'll come to that a bit yeah. later anyway. <laughs> Um, Day the Earth Stood Still, which um, I saw the other day, I think is an absolutely fantastic anti-war movie. Um, very simple in its approach. Great visual effects. I have no time for the Keanu Reeves, Jennifer Connelly remake. Um, it was painful. I yeah. saw that in the cinema. It was painful. Yeah. And um, Forbidden Planet, which is the um, which is a wonderful adaptation of Shakespeare's The Tempest, which is one... I mean, for me, that's one of the best and most colourful designs. It's got... Um, it's got Leslie Nielsen in a very serious role oh, as a really? space commander. It's one uh, of his uh, big serious roles. Yeah. It sounds uh, funny. But the, just for... <laughs> but the crazy thing is, is the trouble is, is because his image is so ingrained with the naked gun, yeah. it's yeah. very difficult because you sometimes... Your brain has to adjust. You know, but the <laughs> thing is, is you, when you see him go, now he's, he's on the social, he's going, now hear this, and you're thinking, surely you can't be serious. <laughs> okay, so that's the kind but, of the 1950s yeah. stuff. And then um, the original, The Thing, which was um, basically it was like an alien carrot, but... Um, has one of the all-time scares. So it's called The Thing from Another Planet yeah, originally? Yeah, Thing from Another World. So oh. um, Howard Hawks, who was a big influence on John Carpenter, and of course, if you watch Halloween, um, and actually Halloween and Forbidden Planet are actually on the TV when Jamie Lee Curtis is babysitting the oh, kids. Right. But he'd, he'd read, so the story goes, um, Carpenter read the original source material of Who Goes There, which is um, John W. Campbell's short story. In the 50s version, it was like, well, they did it like an alien in a rubber suit. What Carpenter wanted to do was to go back to the idea that this thing could take on any yeah. form it touches. So it's much more effective. Um, so that's a brief rerun of the 50s. Okay. Um, moving on to the 60s, um, the four films that I'm bringing into the mix are 2001, Planet of the Apes, Barbarella, and Fantastic Voyage. Um, there are others, but um, I think 2001, for my money, is... 
one of the most incredible science fiction films ever made. I disagree with George Lucas saying it's the ultimate sci-fi film. It is a very good sci-fi film and a movie that you must watch on the big screen. It's a cinematic experience and the amazing quality of the images. Um, it's weird because um, based on this book by us, this short story, R.C. Clark, the Sentinel, but it's weird when an object is the protagonist, this monolith. It's like, oh, right. yeah, yeah, so yeah. the idea is, is this, it, it's, you know, you have that center section with Bauman and uh, Paul, who are the two astronauts, and you have Hal. And I think that section is really, really good. Um, I actually had the pleasure of meeting Keir Delea and Gary Lockwood. I've got a signed photo of them. They did a, when the cinema store was open in St. Martin's Lane in London, um, I actually met them. I mean, Gary Lockwood was very, very old by then, but I've got a really nice um, frame picture. Which What's is, the cinema store? Well, it used to be this. Um, it was run by Paul McAvoy, who was the organizer of Fright Fest, and he, he used to get like a lot of magazines. So it it's was a shop. A, it was a shop that used to exist. Oh right. Okay. And um, it closed down, and they used to get like all the American imports, like the DVDs and stuff. Oh okay. Um, but they used to do signings, and I was very lucky enough to get a photo with. Um, I got a picture with. Uh, I got the signed photo. Um, right, so what we got next? So Planet of the Apes, which is the original, the original version, which was co-written by Rod Serling and um, based on a book by Pierre Boulle called Planet, uh, called Monkey Planet. Um, <laughs> that's, a more bit, pedestrian. that's a bit on the nose, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but that was the name. That was the name of the book. That was the name. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Planet des Seniors, I think it was. So um, <laughs> the. That was the title. Should, I could see David Attenborough being underneath it. That would make. <laughs> so the idea is, is um, you probably, I mean, always get pissed off about that. You know what they do because the pub. Every time you see a DVD cover, they give away the ending. It pisses me off. Well, that's the iconic mode. That's what everyone knows. No, but the, but the thing is, that's what annoys me because if you haven't seen the film before, it's actually one of the most wonderful moments. Because when, but how do they give away the ending? I mean, it, what, if you look at the if you look at the cover, I've got the, yeah. I've got the five disc set of Planet of the Apes. Yeah, right, and it's literally there. It's the, the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. yeah, it's oh, a very. Right. Yeah, so yeah, the yeah, problem yeah. is, is I get really annoyed because I'm thinking. You know, you have people saying, "Oh, don't give away the ending. Don't do yeah, this." Why would you put that picture on there? That that messy. That that's the end of the film. It's like the Dawn of the Dead uh, box set has uh, has basically all the people uh, that who, get killed. Who, who get, get, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the, uh, there was zombied up, and it's just <laughs> well, like. Oh, okay. I mean, funnily enough, just changed some slight. The Omen did. They did a double bill of the Omen and Damien Omen two uh, back in nineteen eighty one. And it said the story so far and the victim so far. So they had all the pictures of the things on. So you're just thinking, hang on a minute, you know, I, I haven't seen this. Um, what's great about it is I think it's, um, that's a really great social comment. I mean, you know, in terms of what's happening with Black Lives Matter, I mean, it's a very interesting statement, you know, and this is where science fiction works. You know, science fiction can actually make very interesting social comments yeah. about it. And you can do it in an interesting way. You can do it in an imaginative way. And I think also the, towards the end of it, when they discover the cave in, you know, the forbidden zone and stuff. And it's also interesting about, um, you know, when Morris Evans as Dr. Zayas is going on about, well, because you're a man, I've never, I've, I've dreaded your coming, but I love the, um, the visual effects. I mean, the opening sequence where they're, you know, where Charlton Heston saying, well, you know, I'm, does man turn against his brother? And it's very interesting. There's um, Jerry Goldsmith scores fantastic. Um, I've got to bring up Barbarella. I um, I saw that for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it. So is it? Was it a joke? Uh, is it a comedy? Or <laughs> no, not? it's it's a very it's it's probably the weirdest science fiction film of the thing. But the only reason is is there are two things that stick out. One of them is is the striptease at the beginning where. Jane Fonda's sort of taken off a spacesuit, and it's kind of every adolescent fantasy. Right. It's very memorable. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. then there's, of course, the dolls with metal teeth. Because she lands on this planet, which is, um, and I remember staying up to watch that when I was, when on Friday nights, I used to watch like films on a, you know, I was allowed to stay up. And I remember I was, I sort of fell asleep, but I watched the first 15 to 20 minutes of it. And when Jane Fonda is sort of on this ground, and these, these dolls are going, 
But it's it's very very psychedelic. It is. It's like um, and it's got a song at the end. There's some I think who sings it. There's a and he goes Barbarella psychedela. Yeah. And John Philip Law. I mean. John Philip Law's a winged man and he's flying around and it's... And he's blind. It's, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing is, is of course, um, the, the villain in it, Milo O'Shea, was called Duran Duran. And that's really? what, and yeah. that's the that's where they got the name for the band. What does it mean? Does it mean anything? No, it's Duran. just the name, Duran Duran. It's literally from yeah. that bloke's name. Yeah. And of course, um, when we move in 70s, like Heaven 17, for example, the band Heaven 17 from the 80s was named after an album in an artist in the Clockwork Orange. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and then finally from the 60s, Fantastic Voids, which was this amazing film where it was about a scientist who had a blood clot and then they, they shrink people into a capsule yeah. and go into the, the thing. So it was a really interesting perception. Of, so Inner Space, that was copied in that, was it? No, Inner Space was, was Inner Space came in 87. Yeah, Inner Space yeah. was a homage to Fantastic Voyage. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it copied, yeah, yeah okay. Um, James Cameron, had, it, it's one of the films, it's a science fiction project that's a remake that has been on the cards. James Cameron was planning to do a remake of Fantastic Voyage at one point. Um, I think he's, he's been attached to a lot of things. Yeah. Well, Spider-Man, Spider yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. So the seventies, this is where we hit the big okay, stuff. So, um, going for the titles, uh, Westworld, Close Encounters, Logan's Run, uh, Alien, The Black Hole, Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers, The Andromeda Strain, Silent Green, Clockwork Orange. Actually, why have I put Flash Gordon in the seventies? It's not the seventies. Flesh <laughs> or Flash? Flesh Gordon. Yeah. Uh, Flesh. Flesh Gordon. Oh, right. Okay, so Flesh Gordon. Um, well, you can't do all of these, so pick a couple and go. So Flesh Gordon. Okay, so I'm going to, well, I'm going to pick. Um, Flesh, E-S-H. Yeah, Flesh Gordon. Why have you gone for that one? Over well, it was, a, it was a sex spoof. So what it was. But was, wasn't that Flesh Gordon? Wasn't that a sex spoof? That no, no. Quite Fle campy. Flesh, that so, is campy, yeah, yeah. So basically, Flesh Gordon is, the hero is Flesh Gordon, and is Dale R. Arden is Dale Ardor, and Dr. Zarkov is Dr. Flexi Jerkoff. <laughs> God's sake. It's there are trailers on Lang, so it's a mixture <laughs> of um, it's a mixture of uh, you know stop motion and um, you know and basically the spacecraft look like phallic symbols, and basically Ming the Merciless is he sort of bombards Earth with sex rays, where so everybody goes thing anyway. It's it's very bizarre. So why have you chosen that over Flash? I, I, I just mentioned it. I haven't done it yet. Oh, okay, no. Right. Okay. So of the. <laughs> The two or three that I'm yeah. going to pick, Close Encounters, yeah. um, Westworld, and A Clockwork Orange. So the Westworld's this, the, com the cowboy thing. Well, Westworld is Michael Crichton's 1973 version where basically um, there's three worlds. There's Roman world, medieval world, and Westworld. And the robots go bizarre, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. Yul Brynner is the gunfighter. Yeah, who fantastic. Yeah. Um, and James Brolin, who was in Capricorn 1, and Richard Benjamin, who then became a director. Um, it's a very fascinating. Was this Yul Brenner's first cowboy appearance? No, Magnificent Seven was his. Yeah, so course. he was originally a normal yeah, cowboy, but it was okay. a mixture of yeah, Chris. Yeah. Um, I have to mention Close Encounters because it was the first ever science fiction film I saw at the cinema. Oh. I was um, I was nine years old. It was the same year I saw Star Wars. Was you old enough to get in? And what was that? Was it a PG? It was an A. It was an a. Close, close, um, yeah, there's nothing terrible in it, is there? Really? Not, it's well, the, the only the, the only seek the only sequence that is menacing is actually when the kid is abducted. Yeah, oh, the, you know, because yeah, yeah. there's lights and you know, and and it's got this really great terrifying moment. But even today, the visual effects when Richard Dreyfuss is standing on the road and those those saucers flying yeah. saucers go around the corner, even today, I'm amazed how they did that. It's so because it's in camera. Remember, it's not CGI. It's in camera, and I think I remember. You know, when when the spacecraft arrives at the end, it's like this. You just look up, and everybody. I remember my parents saw it about a week before we did. They they actually said to my me and my brother, "We're going to take see close encounters." But I just remember they used to tell us that the, um, you know, you could hear a pin drop in the cinema. Yeah. It is a movie you need to see on the big screen. Yeah. I saw the special edition um, in 1980, went to see that. And I actually have got the Blu-ray, which has got three versions of the film. So there's the original 1977 version, the 1980 version. And then in, in, uh, I think in 2008, Spielberg did a brand new director's cut, 
which eliminates all the final scenes of the special edition. The 1980s version is the same film. It's just cut differently. No, he's added... There's, there's, Well, there's one sequence which has been cut out of the 1977 version when Roy, Richard Dreyfus goes into the power station. Yeah. But they've added... Um, you know, but there's also more domestic stuff. So there's a really funny opening sequence where um, where um, one of his sons goes, he goes, Dad, I need help with these fractions. He goes, I don't do your problems. You do your problems. That's why I graduated, because I don't have to do problems. <laughs> um, but again, it's fascinating. One of the best, um, I think, up there was Star Wars. I mean, revolutionary in terms of its thing. And then uh, Clockwork Orange, which for me is has grown on me. I mean, it's a science fiction movie. Put in that. It's set in the future. Yeah, it is. Oh, well, I didn't realize how Good. far in the future was it? Well, it's it's but but the but the thing is, is Kubrick's vision of the future is actually the most plausible and real. When you think of antisocial behavior, you know you have got the youths and and yeah. because it's violence for kicks. And when you think of what's right, going on yeah. at the moment, you know you have you know the kind of violence. But again, it was never. But it, it's never specified when it takes place. It's just like, um, you know, it does focus on the more social aspect of free will and, you know, you know the Ludovico technique and, you know, there is science in there. Yeah. So it's, you know, Anthony Burgess's original book is actually based on um, a real-life trauma where his wife was raped by some GIs in the 40s. And, this, and basically, went bef before he conceived it, he was actually given... Um, only a few years to left to live. So he, he wrote down a few ideas and titles and the clock of Orange was one of them. Um, I think Why it, does, I can't remember seeing the film the whole way through. Where does Clockwork Orange fit into the film? Well, it's an odd, the Clockwork Orange is like winding everything in. I think there's a metaphor for winding something in. So oh, right. that's, I think the actual, the full, the full actual term is as queer as a Clockwork Orange. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so, but, but I think it's also, um, you know, for me, it, it's a movie that I think is very much a science fiction film and it does get commented on in, um, in science fiction's histories cause it is very futuristic. I mean, I'd have things like Mad Max and stuff, um, and stuff like that. Um, like the black hole and stuff. So um, moving on to for, the, for the seventies though, I, I noticed no uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. Was well, the first one, the very first. I I have to agree. I mean, Star Trek would have been commented on that, but was to say, well, you know, it's a, it's one of my favorites. I mean, I think as a movie, I think it actually is one of the most amazing movies. I think it works very, very well. I what think, was the storyline of this one? Okay, so an un, an an a, a alien cloud destroys three Klingon vessels, and then the Enterprise has to go investigate it, and it turns out that the cloud is actually um, Voyager. Uh, the Voyager probe. The Voyager probe. Yeah. So the Voyager probe has gone into space, but it's become a, a living entity, and it's been amassing it. And then the oh, alien right. beings okay. have programmed it, said, "Well, learn all that's learnable," and it's come back to Earth to reunite. Right. Um, but the problem is, the Trekkie fans wanted shaky sets and punch ups, <laughs> <laughs> but they wanted. But the funny thing is, they they then sort of when they did Star Trek to the the Wrath of Khan, that was more in keeping with what they were doing right, with yeah. it. But it was absolutely slaughtered at the at the cinema. Really? I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, apparently even the stars fell asleep at the premiere in Washington. Oh God! But they were still working on it towards the end. You know, about two or three weeks before they the budget bloomed to about forty six million. Um, Jeffrey Katzenberg went in did, did the things, but John Dykstra and Douglas Trumbull, two of the top effects guys, did it. Um, it works very very well. I loved it. Um, it's got one of my favorite scores by Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, it has it has the next generation uh, theme tune in it. Yeah, well, so yeah, that's, and, that's where they first had it. Yeah, but it also has like Alexander Courage's um, original theme at times. There's about two moments where it's used in the film, um, and I think the director's cut, which had the brand new CGI stuff, was actually really good. They they had to modify things things with Vulcan. Oh, okay. Because that in the 1979 version, um, you know, they had like. Spock was on the ground, but the problem was is when he's looking up, it didn't make sense with the images. So what they did do was they created some CGI statues and like sun beaming down to make it look a bit more real. Okay, so so sort of continuity errors. That's that's what we should be but using. It was, CGI but for. that was probably down to the fact that anyway. So um, so yeah, so that that's the seventies. Now on to the second favorite. Um, the titles that come into the thing are Trans, Short Circuit, Escape from New York, Short Terminator, Short Battle Beyond the Stars, Outland, 
Flash Gordon, Blade Runner, The Thing, Robocop. Oh, you have gone Flash Gordon, okay. And I'm not going to mention too much because our illustrious recordist over there doesn't want to know too much about it because he's waiting <laughs> for the beam. Robocop, Altered States, Mad Max 2, Predator, Inner Space, and Night of the Comet. So out of these... Um, Go, give me some short circuit because I've actually seen that. Um, <laughs> what was the name of the robot? Number five. Number five. Johnny Five. Johnny yeah. Five. Yeah. And it has probably one of my favourite favorite taunts of a robot to another robot laser lips your mama was a snowblower <laughs> your mother was a snowblower yeah <laughs> uh, but it um it's a very i i love it because it's a very cute um although when you look at the way technology is today i just think it's a very cute they sort of described it as a, a robotic version of et you know yeah, number yeah, five yeah, is alive yeah. and of course it has one of my favorite crushes in it ali sheedy from war games um you know i i did sort of drool over her when i was watching i saw it three times because of her um and it has steve guttenberg in it and um gw bailey who was the um who was commandant lassard in police academy he plays the military guy in there and it's had austin pendleton who played uh, mr larrabee in what's up doc um but it was directed by John Badham. I, I loved it for its cuteness. Um, you know, I think it's a movie that will pro- they could well remade, remake in some shape or form. Yeah. Um, I'm so I'm sure it's somewhere. Being, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there's yeah. a spec screen. Um, yeah, um, I'd have to mention. I mean, let's talk a little bit about Blade Runner. I think it's um, I think it's the, a real influential movie. I think I love the although it's a very slow movie and it. I finally had about four or five. You have to watch it about four or five viewings to realize. How long was the original then when it came out of the cinematic? The original release? version was about 117 minutes. Um, oh. You know, the sequel, Blade Runner 2049, is about two hours, 30, 39. It's, um, quite, it's quite long, yeah. But it's, but again, I think the very, what's weird about Blade Runner was that it was the reason why the cult happened was because a guy called Michael Arick had, had come across a, um test print in 70 millimeter in 1990 he was looking in 1989 he was doing some research on sound reconstruction and he was in a vault in warner brothers at burbank and he came across these cans of um blade runner with 70 millimeter so he claimed the print and then um somebody needed a print of 70 millimeter print of blade runner for a 70 millimeter festival at fairfax in los angeles and they, they said, we, we clean it and then we show it. Tickets were sold out. But they, the version that they played was actually this fluky sat- version, which became the template for the director's cut. Oh, okay. Well, so without the, uh, the voiceover. Yeah. Hang on. So who, who filmed the original one that was found in the can? It was Ridley Scott. It was, what, what it was was this version that they discovered was actually a test print, you yeah. know, that, which had not had the, the, you know, the, the voiceover and stuff like that. It but was, who had done that? That that wasn't Ridley Scott. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a test print of the film. That was like an early version that was not quite finished. Right. But how, how long before was that done? Do you know? It was done at the same time. You know, it, but this thing of just, oh, this, found is just it. A, this is just a different edit. So they discovered a different edit of the film. Discovered. Like, oh, yeah. What's this here? Was a million pounds? <laughs> it happened. No, what, it what they do is they did. Um, for, you know, in Paul M. Salmon's book Future World, there's a whole. If you read the future noir the making of blade runner it's a brilliant book which gives you the whole history from the concept to the final cut and um you know that what what they do is they they will often screen films for test audiences to see what's going on and this was a test print which had not been completed but they were just testing the audience out and so it was put away and forgotten about it the the version that we all know and love from we all know from 1982 was released and you know with everything in and everybody was not com- was not sure about it and then the cult began and it the thing is blade runner actually made its money on home video it didn't do all that well in the cinema but it's crazy the crazy thing about it is you know how many fa- for box office failures warrant a multi-million a mega budgeted sequel like blade runner 2049 it's it's very unusual but the interesting thing is when you watch blade runner 2049 the certain frustrations that people have from watching the original film do creep in i think it's more epic i think it's more accomplished um so what are the problems that creep in what do you mean well it's it's so unconventional you it's it's also a very slow film at times you know it's great to look at the recent one no blade runner as a movie is 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 sometimes can be frustrating because there are action moments in it 
And, you know, we all talk about the climax between Deckard and Roy Batty, and there's things about it, and we often talk about those moments where he goes, I've seen things through your eyes and stuff like that. But it's also, it sort of takes its time to get there. You know, it's good to look at. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, the idea was, was when they, when they made it, the idea was they never felt that science fiction films had always had this desire to rebuild and create stuff. The idea with Blade Runner was that structures are going to be too expensive to replace. So right. they just built on top of them. Oh, okay. And Los Angeles was, you know, the Los Angeles of 20, um, 2019 is um you know is it was very much in keeping it and now it's time has caught up with it and we are in 20 we're in 2020 yeah. and you know we we don't have dome cities we don't have all these great wonderful technological stuff that we all you know that science fiction films do yeah but we got youtube though so swings around yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we well, didn't I mean, get the hoverboard but we got well, youtube well, well here's another thing like escape from new york for example which is 1997 and new york is a maximum security prison it's it's weird it's a great idea but we've was that what it was it was a the whole of new york was a prison I've yeah, seen yeah. It so the you know the, the you know the crime rate in america um rose 300 percent, and then basically they just decided we're going to make new york a maximum security prison with how did they force him to do the uh, to, to go after what was it somebody was the president no the president's plane air force one crash landed yeah. Pre president of what yeah <laughs> crash landed in the thing and then basically um snake, snake Pliskin, the baddest man in the world <laughs> and he but he goes um and you know it was about the, the president was on his way to a meeting um with the russians and stuff russian and chinese and stuff and the more you think about it, the politics of that film are actually quite shot are quite scary you know and then you look at escape from la the sequel and that's actually a film that's caught up with because that's in 2013 and you've got a mad president and he's going like so he says la is sodom and gomorrah and you're thinking that's exactly the sort of thing <laughs> yeah, that Trump so what they can't he wasn't bothered about the kidnapping how did they force him to go and well what it was was they said look we will give you full pardon if you oh, go and right. arrest your president yeah. so what they then put they put these two microscopic capsules yeah. charges in his head and he says you know that thing about Gofar going flying back over to Mexico he says no chance you're going to have to go in and get in in 17 up 22 hours you know you can these are going to dissolve and your head's going to explode oh um, it's a time capsule yeah but it's, it's Karim, how long are you going away for <laughs> can you get those in the sort of like two months versions <laughs> yeah oh yeah something like that <laughs> um i'm gonna mention um flash gordon's a great fun movie um no spoilers but just enjoy it it's it's wonderful to look at great score by uh by um by queen um gonna mention oh, by queen yeah yeah oh, I didn't flash Oh God! Yeah. Every one of us. Savior was it just, of the, just the one song, or was there a few songs? There was the um, there Queen. was one called "The Hero," um, oh. which is at the very end. And there's, um, but but you know, it's actually the instrumental stuff's brilliant. Um, you know, there's the, the, the soundtrack's really, um, you know, there's um, there's a wonderful um, Vangelis type score in you know in the space capsule where that you know they're riding in there. Object entering our patrol range, approaching the sea of fire. Um, Who uh, played the uh, the Flash Gordon? Oh, what's his name? Oh, Sam J. Jones. There's a documentary about him. Yeah, I um, actually met Sam Jones. Okay, um, I think Swartzen had an autobiography. He was approached did, about playing, and they said, but the accent wouldn't work. They did a screening at the Prince Charles Cinema. I was actually there watching a movie later on, and he literally emerged from the cinema after the Q and A. And he's about seven foot eight. <laughs> I went. I was like, I'm six foot one. I sort of. He's, he's incredible. I looked up at him and I said, I thought, fucking hell. <laughs> anyway, I said to him, I said, look, Sam, pleasure meeting you. He goes, oh, I remember it was a great move. And he, he's, and he's still what got nationalities. American, American, yeah. Oh. But he, he's got such a, you know, he's, he still looks like Sam Jones. <laughs> yeah. And he's, I mean, he's, he's kind of a bit more wrinkled and so a bit like Dolph Lundgren is now. Yeah. But he's, um. But he was very receptive. I mean, the, the, the film went down really well, and it had Melody Anderson, who was in, um, who played Elvis's girlfriend in Elvis the movie. He seems he seems like a good sport, doesn't oh, he? Yeah. yeah. Who directed yeah. it? It was Mike Hodges. And who, what did he do? He directed the original version of Get Carter. Oh, oh okay. okay. Um, and he went from that to Flash Gordon. <laughs> well, he 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 sort of was. Um, well, they they. You know, and um, it was scripted by Lorenzo Semple Jr., who did Never Say Never Again and Three Days of the Condor. Oh, right. Um, 
But um, Brian and Timothy Dalton play Prince Baron, who was terrific in it. Um, and there was like Topol as um, uh, and Sarkov, yeah. who went from that to play um, to play one of the um, who played an ally of James Bond in Four Your Eyes Only. Oh, okay. He played um, whatever his name. Uh, yeah, that <laughs> Chris. So, you know, not Chris. Um, Colombo. He played Colombo in. Um, was it Colombo in? Uh... Can't remember. Oh, right. anyway, he he went on in that anyway. So, so anything else in the eighties? Um, I would mention Outland, the Peter Himes film, which was uh, High Noon in Outer Space, which was set on Jupiter's moon. Um, is, is that with Sean, Sean Connery? Connery. Yeah, so yeah. essentially, what it is is um, Sean Connery is a federal marshal who goes to a mining facility on Jupiter's moon Io. Um, the original title of Outland was going to be Isle, but the problem was they thought it was going to look like 10. So they changed yeah. it to Outland. So essentially there's... Um, That's a better title, I think. So they've got a work hard, play hard attitude on this facility. And they've got this um, drug called polydichloric neufomol, which is kind of like Red oh, Bull. Oh, well remembered. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of a bit like Red Bull. It's like a like um <laughs> like it's it's like a it's like a synthetic sedative which actually gives you like you know like speed and acid okay trouble is it works fine and cr creates more productivity but then it fries your brain as francis Sturgeon, okay. dr lazarus says um but i do love it for it the music and it's one of the most best looking films of the um science fiction and what's it called Outland. And who's that directed by? Uh, Peter Hyams, who did um, who did Capricorn one in the seventies. Okay. Um, we must, of course, uh, mention Tron and Mad Max Two and the Terminator. Mad Max Two, I think, is just a terrific futuristic film. Um, I think it it gets better the more you watch it. I mean, the, the physical action is brilliant, um, and I do like that. It's uh, really really dark and really influential as well. I mean, really influential on so many terrible b-movies basically <laughs> yeah particularly the enzo g castellari trilogy of bronx warriors bronx warriors 2 and the new barbarians yes um you know bronx warriors 2 is weird that they, they did a there's a wonderful scene where these guys in helmets and and jumpsuits and they're sort of arriving in new york and the, and they're trying to go down into the like the subway of new york and there's there's like new yorkers wandering around what the same wonder what the fuck are these people doing um, that's probably not the weirdest thing they've seen that day in new york yeah. <laughs> um i'd also finally mention um i mean robocop we got to do um which was like um influenced by comic books and stuff like that i actually met ed newmeyer who was one of the co-screenwriters of robocop at um the london screenwriters festival and i did question him i said were you influenced by judge dread yeah. and he says we were aware of it but we didn't influence it okay, okay. oh right so it, judge dread was before robocop yeah. yes well, it wasn't a robocop comic it, yeah it was just judge no, no, yeah but it very much feels like 2018 yeah, yeah. um and then finally the 1990s predator 2 id4 independence day and total recall um independence day made it on there didn't it? i thought yeah. that'd be a bit low level for you now yeah um, i thought it was a good film i think it's it's entertaining i mean it's 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 one of those i remember watching it at the Odeon lesser square on the opening opening week opening week i went to the it was like it was open on a thursday and i went on the um I went on the on the twelve thirty screening, packed house. Everybody lapped it up, and when um, Will Smith bashed the alien, said, "Welcome <laughs> to <laughs> Earth." That, every, everyone remembers that moment. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a really good. It's a it's a it's a good solid blockbuster. It does, it's it, yeah. a very entertaining. Yeah. Um, I mean, although that said, some of the things like the you know the logistics of some of the visual effects, like when the Empire State Building get blows up, you know, they kind of took liberty with how it was placed on the actual screen and stuff what do you mean well you know like the the thing when the, yeah. the thing yeah. blows up but it's like they kind of made it like um you know you could see clearly down the road and of course new york you can't see the empire and then of course it had like the i mean the iconic moment of the white house being blown up which had i mean which was spoofed in um Austin Powers of Spy Shag Me, where he goes like, um, he goes, if you do not go to my demands, and then they show the clip of, um, oh, they show the, 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 the clip of the, the independent. Yeah. He goes, well, no, that was from Independence Day, but it'd be a lot like that. <laughs> probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Austin Powers, I mean, Austin Powers actually, the Spy Shag Me, does have, for my money, one of the best punch ups. I mean, when, when Austin battles Mini-Me and he sort of goes in his trousers and he's going, he's whacking him in the face and stuff. <laughs> and then, of course, they spoofed, um, they spoofed 
um, Star Wars, you know, they did like the thing where um, Dr. Eve in one of the teaser trailers, and of course it's like the, the Emperor chair, and he goes, oh, you were expecting somebody else? <laughs> this is Austin, Austin, I'm coming after you, Austin Powers. Um, so yeah, so that's actually just a rough idea of, um, a general idea of some of the movies that I've... So what was it, give me another one from the 90s? Um... I no, think Strange know. Days, the Catherine Bigelow movie, which was a, um, so basically it's like virtual technology and Rafe Fiennes uses this stuff and he can see things and he sees this rape. What and year it, is this? It's, it's 1995, oh. Catherine Bigelow, James Cameron produced it. And it's, um, again, a very iconic film, um, sort of very underrated, like a lot of Bigelow stuff, but it was quite, disturbing because it was actually about a rape finds actually sort of is visualizing somebody getting rape in there so it was about like um virtual technology oh, okay um people, so that, people like trading memories weren't they and yeah stuff like that, it's yeah. it's kind of like um you know a bit like total recall which again oh yeah how did that not make your list it is it's oh, actually it i did put, i did put it in the original we're talking yeah about. um which i remember watching um i saw it in 70 millimeter at the odeon marble arch at the multimedia screening um and that was brilliant because they, they had trailers beforehand of air america the doors and jacob's ladder Okay. and i think it's actually um i think it's one of arnold schwarzenegger's best films and i also think you know, Sharon Stone, you're just like, yeah, I wish she'd be my wife. <laughs> Even um, if she would kill me. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> um, but I love, but I also remember the, um, you know, the, my favorite shot in that is actually when Arnie arrives on the planet on Mars and he's in the train and he's looking out and then all of a sudden the train cuts out and then the camera pulls back and the train oh, goes yeah. into yeah. the thing. But I like the, um, well, I, I like the you know the real concept of this uh, this wonderful mix of action, like a proper Schwarzenegger action thing, with a really interesting yeah. idea that you know is it real and stuff. And Rachel Ticketin's good as well. Did so. the did the recent Total Recall did did that follow literally? Was there any deviation there was from a, the story? Well, it was more Earthbound. I mean, basically, Total Recall was a was in development for years. Ronald Shusett, who was the co writer of Alien, had been trying to get the story we can remember it for you wholesale made for years. And it went through several directors. I mean, David Cronenberg, for example, was actually at one point going to be doing Total Recall. Oh, interesting. But he, this is part of the backstory. Um, but his mother died and then he didn't want to do it. Now, the version with um, which Lem Wiseman did, for my money, I think would have been more in keeping what Cronenberg would do because oh. I don't think Cronenberg would have done a space age one. I think what he would have bought into is the idea of what Cronenberg does is really interesting. You know, it, his work is always interesting. If you look at um, Shivers, Rabid and the Brood, The Dead Zone, Existence. I mean, Existence, funnily enough, is probably, would, would, yeah, pro would probably kind of be close to, would be similar to what Total Recall would be. Um, but, you know. Who directed the first one? Was it Verhoeven? It was Paul Verhoeven did the, Paul Verhoeven did the 1990 version. Lem Wiseman, who, was um Kate Beckinsale's um steady for years um and did the underworld movies and then Die Hard 4 she, he did the Total Recall version oh, okay um, so you can remember the the Vernhoven version because of the amount of blood squibs yeah <laughs> needless deaths but written. I but yeah. I but I love that <laughs> sequence I mean the sequence where um Michael Ironside and co are chasing it but I I just remember when when I saw it at the multimedia screening like um everybody cheered when um when you know Arnie's being chased by the henchman and they have that sequence on the stair and everybody's getting shot and he's using the guy's the bulletproof. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody was cheering. It was like, it was a proper adult. It was, yeah. everybody was really rooting for it the way that, you know, like when you watch Raiders of Lost Ark. Um, and I, I, I think as a, you know, it was shot in Mexico, Churubusco studios. And it was, it was, it was probably, it was one of the biggest independent science fiction yeah. films all. Cause it was actually, distributed by TriStar Films in America. It was Guildhub Film Distribution in the UK, but it was Caracol who did Rambo movies and stuff. Um, and the, you know, and I think the production design was great. Rob Bottin's stuff. I think the mutants are fantastic. Um, I think Sharon Stone and Rachel Tickleton had one of the best kick-ass fights ever. Because the, the intention of it is they didn't want to do a proper girly fight. 
what Verhoeven said because he said, you know, I want you to have people kicking butt and stuff. Um, but it did have a lot of criticism when um, when Arnie shoots Sharon Stone in the head and he goes, consider that a divorce. There was a lot of, you know, <laughs> you know, in this Me Too concept, everybody, Me Too times, everybody would, you know, there was a lot of objection to that because they felt that the, there was a kind of misogynistic and sexist attitude to that anyway. But that said... When you think about it, Sharon Stone has been trying to kill Arnold Schwarzenegger for a while. But there's um but that opening fight where the way that Sharon Stone is becomes this very cold blooded yeah. femme fatale and she he, you know slashes it with a knife. Yeah. yeah. And he and there's that kind of fight. And um but I do like the line where she he goes, Doug, I want you to know that you were my best assignment ever. He goes, Do you want to do it for old time's sake? And then she goes, She goes, It didn't know you kinky. And he goes, um and she goes, you tie me up if you want. Yeah, yeah. And then she goes, um, Doug, you wouldn't do that are we? after all we've been together. He goes, so somebody was from. <laughs> <laughs> just lays her out, yeah. But it, it's, but it, but I think that's the great thing is the thing, it's just fun. I mean, some of the lines, you know, the other one is where um, they've got him tied up where they're trying to get Hauser back. And he goes, he goes, oh, Hauser, you know, he got, and, 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 um, and Arnie said, he goes, the guy's a fucking asshole. <laughs> and, and then the other bit is, and the one that I, the, the look that I love is the moment. So he goes, where Michael Iron says, he goes, he goes, Doc, is he going to remember any of this? He goes, no. And he goes, boof. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's that shot of, um, then there's that wonderful shot where Arnie goes, and then, and then there's that wonderful shot where he sticks the, there's like a pipe and he sticks the guy in and then there's a brief shot of the guy with the thing in his head and stuff. <laughs> um, but it, but again, it, I think this is where going back to a saying like the, the crossover of science fiction is that again, there are films that appeal to kids. There are films that appeal to teenagers. There are films to appeal to adults. What so, did you class poltergeist as? Is that kids film looking back? I, I didn't think it was at the time, but I think it, it is, was part, it was part suitable for kids in America. Yeah. It was a PG film in the States. Really? Yeah. What was the thing who when about who actually directed it? Because was it still Spielberg? Who was there too much? No, no, there was the story. I mean, it's the problem. On paper, is, who directed it? Well, on paper, it was Toby Hooper. Right. Problem was was that they they kind of felt that because Spielberg, it was a Spielberg production. It was Spielberg script. Oh, it's a script. Nice. Um. And the problem was was um because Spielberg was on the set a lot of the time and he was a producer. It does look a bit yeah, like, yeah, it is, yeah. You know, but they, the problem was, is if Spielberg had actually admitted to it, I think there would have been a conflict of interest here. I think he might have actually been in trouble for for it anyway. Oh, so that the uh, director's guild or whatever, yeah, yeah, because it happened once before when Clint Eastwood directed the Outlaw Josie Wales. There was a th rule in Hollywood called the Kaufman rule because Philip Kaufman was the original director of the Outlaw Josie Wales, yeah. And I think they fired Eastwood fired him and then directed the um directed uh Outlaw Josie Wells. But then the Directors Guild of America got involved and said, Hang on a minute, you can't do that. So they created this thing where oh. the authorship of a film yeah. is, you know, they they made a debate about it. I think it was something like that. I mean, um when Toby Hooper came over to be the total film icon at Fright Fest, they did ask him about the whole Poltergeist yeah. thing. He said, uh, Well, I, I was actually the director of uh, Poltergeist and Spielberg was there to lend support and be my you know, whatever it was, because um that's what you know. So what did Toby because it looks like a Spielberg film. So what yeah. did Toby go on to do? Or what did he done well Toby Hooper directed the classic The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh. He directed Life Force. Life Force, yeah. um, which was an adaptation of Colin Wilson's thing. Uh, space vampires which was um which was mauled critically in 1985 but actually it's not a bad movie it's actually you know as a vampire space vampires and there's some great stuff in there but there was like um people used to hate the actual um you know they critically hated it because they felt it didn't was logistical but also it was part of the anti-canon sentiment that was going on at the time um you know Toby Hooper had a three-picture deal. He did a remake. Another of the 50s movies was Invaders from Mars. And he did a remake in 1986 of Invaders from Mars. He also did Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. <laughs> All three of these movies were kind of given um, a bit of a drubbing. And, and they've actually sort of come, 
they've actually emerged with a bit of credibility yeah. now. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is a, a very popular cult film now. Life Force, I think they've done like, there are several versions on Blu-ray and DVD, and I actually, I actually watched the version recently. It's not all bad. I mean... I think it's, got, it's on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. And Henry Mancini has written a really great score. He did the Pink Panther things, but this was one of his non-Pink Panther scores. And it's actually like, um, you know, the, he... he conducted the London Sympathy, Symphony Orchestra, and it's a bit like Raiders and stuff. It's, very, you know, really pumping, you know. You, you said there was a problem with Canon at the time. What was that? Well, the Canon group were basically... The film Canon. No, the, the Canon group, the Canon Films thing. Canon, Canon Films, Menachem Golan, Euron Globus. There's a great documentary you must check out called Electric Boogaloo, The yeah. Untold Story of Canon Films. Which is fantastic. It's got loads it's, of clips. From it's all got... All, so what was the issue with Canon then? What they was, were... They were is, they were a pair of Israeli cousins, and they oh, okay. bought they bought shares in Canon, and effectively they almost monopolised the film industry in the UK. So they bought Elstree Studios, the Thorny and My Screen Libraries Entertainment Library, the classic chain of cinemas. Yeah, I mean anybody who went to the cinema in the U in the UK in the eighties probably watched a movie in a Canon cinema. Oh, okay, they which are cinemas. actually which I loved them. I mean, my local cinema was. Um, was a Canon and it had these nice white seats and they had great sound and stuff like that. I remember when they reopened the cinema locally to me, they had a, a series of trailers. They showed a trailer thing. So I sat in one of the cinemas and I went around all the cinemas and they were all the same seats. Um, but their reach was a bit too broader. You know, they, they tried to make so many films, but they didn't have the quality. A lot of the films weren't particularly good because they were they were specialists in independent cinema. Yeah, yeah. So they tried to make, you know, the most infamous one was Superman Four. Ah. So the quest, they, the quest for peace, quest for peace, yeah. which again had a nice concept, but it was awful. Like they 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 could it was so cut price. So the visual effects, you know, if you watch it, the visual effects are awful. And they used Milton Keynes for Metropolis. <laughs> So the thing is, is, you know, Christopher Reeve, Christopher Reeve was wanted, you know, they, he didn't want to do Superman anymore. So basically, Malachan Golan, so the story goes, goes, what is it going to take to make you play Superman? He said, well, it's just that I want to write this story. So Christopher Reeve wrote this story oh. about ridding the world of all nuclear weapons. Now, the idea is, is it would have been nice, but they never spent enough time working on the script. Right. It's, you know, it's a bit like, you know, when you look at some of the comic books like Superman and Doomsday or Thanos, when you look at, you know, when you look at the Avengers movies with Thanos, you know, they could have had a Thanos type character because Nuclear Man, which was the character that came out of, um, you know, which came out of him, there was a fusion of nuclear energy. I'm trying yeah. to remember what it was. It's the third one, wasn't it? Yeah, the fourth one. Oh, the fourth one. So the idea is, is, you know, if they'd spent more time on the script and actually got back to the idea of what they did with the first two films, because Richard Donner admitted in a documentary that if he'd been allowed, left alone to do Superman three and four, he would have made two really great movies. Yeah. Um, but he was, he was dismissed from, they had a conflict of interest and, and apparently he didn't like Pierre Spengler, the producer of Superman. He goes, well, I'm not going to work if he's on there. So they replaced, um, they replaced Richard Donner with Richard Lester to work on the second film when they were doing it in 1980. I mean, you can watch the both versions. You know, if you compare the Richard Donner cut with the, the original Lester cut, it's interesting to see how much stuff Donner did film. And there's some interesting changes. So there's, um, you know, so for example, the, the difference between Superman 2, the Donner cut, and the Superman 2, the Lester cut is in Superman 2, the Donner cut, the rocket that Superman throws out into space yeah. in the first film, you know, there are two rockets that one of them hits the San Andreas fault. Yeah. First, the other one that he throws into space, that is the one that explodes and unleashes the three villains. Oh. Ah. So you don't get, so whereas in the Lester cut, you have like the, the bomb, but it's a very clever one because that's, um, that's the whole first three or four minutes of the film. And then the other thing is, is when... Um, in the Lester version, you know, Superman trips up, his glasses fall into the fire, and then he does like that. In um, in the Donner cut, which was actually a screen test that they remastered, Lois uses a blank and says, gotcha. 
You are Superman. Oh, okay. uh, um, <laughs> that, but it, that's Greg. It's, yeah, because she's clever yeah. lady. She's yeah. A, you know, yeah. But it also, but the the Donna cut also has the the opening sequence where um, Lois Lane is trying to. She leaps out of the Daily Planet building and actually lands on on the fruit um, stall down below, and like Superman goes down and Chris rushes down and goes. Because Lois, what are you doing? <laughs> um, so that's the movie. That's the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. No, what did we do? 90s, 50s no. to 90s. Oh, okay. Um, what was this new website you said you've got? Okay, so um, I've got some backers. Um, I'm doing, it's a brand new website we're testing. It's going to be a review website. Um, of anything? Of movies, and movies and movies, stuff. Okay. I would love to include the podcast, if that's okay. Um, what? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Listen, yeah. anything we do is your yeah. seat. So yeah, so um, what it is is we're doing. Um, we're just testing it at the moment. So it's it's basically a new pet project. Um, we've put there's a lot of like mini reviews on there, but we we put trailers on there. It's an opportunity to um, you know, it, it's it's sort of in the final stages. Um, when are you thinking it's going to be roughly sort of about what month? Don't know yet. Don't okay. know yet. But um, but the idea is is we we'll um, you know. I mean, there'll be a launch at some point anyway. Yeah. Um, and um, I say, yeah. I'll let you know. But, um, you know, I, I just thought I'd run that past you. But yeah, it's good. of course, yeah. And, um, you know, and it, it's it's something that I think will be interesting. Do you know what I was watching? You sent me a link a while ago and I got into them. The two interviewees from the 70s, they're always arguing. Oh, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. Yeah. Yeah. And because I'll go back and on YouTube, you can watch them and they review like aliens yeah. and the thing one. It's surprising the ones that they don't like in things, but I could, it almost felt like an act, the two of them. No, that, Gene Siskel, a... well, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, I mean, if you watch some of those clips, they're fantastic because um, the funny thing is they did the dogs of 1980. So, um, so they talked about Airport 80, the Concorde, and um, went, no, 1979, there's a wonderful, you know, the great thing is they talked about. Um, when time ran out, which was Irwin Allen's last production, which was this terrible um, island volcano disaster film. Oh, has that got um... Paul Newman and Jacqueline Bisset and um, uh, uh, what's his William name? Holden? Yeah, James Franciscus. But they said that the problem with the visual effects is that the mat lines are thicker than John Crawford's eyebrows. <laughs> Um, but then, but the great thing is, is it, it's quite interesting because they, they do, um, like there's one link online. If you ever check this out, they've got one on Blade Runner. So there's a review of Blade yeah. Runner. Um, they ripped apart the black hole, for example. Um, there, there's a whole host of them just type in Siskel and Ebert. You're, yeah. They're great interviews because it's just, it's a 70, it feel, it's so. Yeah. But, but they were, I mean, I, I, I was a great admirer of both of them. They were very they were very reflective and intelligent. And yeah. I mean, Roger Ebert was one of the all time great critics. You know, he was the Barry Norman of America and, um, I loved, but, the, but their analysis and the way that they picked up on things, it's always interesting how people, you know, you, you pick up, you pick up on things in, um, different ways when you, when you look at a film. I mean, I'm, I'm always looking at things now where, you know, you watch a film for a second or third time and you're thinking, well, actually I didn't spot that before. Yeah. Interesting enough. I, this is an interesting thing. I, I watched bullet the other day and at one point, the original one, the original ones. Well, there was only one. I was not, I thought it was um, a second. No, 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 I'm thinking of Stallone. No, no, but Steve, <laughs> Steve McQueen, Steve McQueen at one point actually calls his, um, his fellow officer by his acting name. <laughs> so no, this is one. So, there's a, there's a guy called the actor there's um there's a there's a police officer who works with bullet called stan and the actor's name was carl Rindell. so of course when he gets shot in the hotel and he's on the way there anyway he says okay carl stay there we're gonna get to there and but of course the most famous one was in star wars where when when um print when he lands after blowing up the death star mark hamill says carrie <laughs> no oh really yeah it's, was, it's, was Bullet the one where he slaps a woman on the side of the road? No, that's the getaway. The getaway, yeah. If you see that, uh, and she's not expecting it, and he smacks her, mate. He proper... Well, um, he actually lets yeah. well, on. Not well, a, the, the other sequence in that is actually the um, the scene where the guy sort of nicks the bag. There's a guy... That, there's What it is, is they put this bag of money in a locker, and he uses a very clever thing where he gets the key, and he switches the key, so the key gets switched... And then he opens it up. Anyway, the guy goes on the train and he's sort of sitting there like this and he's saying, and anyway, um, Steve McQueen gets on there and he goes, and he goes, boom, boom, 
boom and bashes him crazy and he goes he goes if you're ever going to do that again and he just kills him like that <laughs> and this um and then this kid goes on with there and he goes listen mate if you if you don't do that i'm gonna <laughs> he, he he threatens this kid on the train um but the other sequence is actually the hotel shootout in um the getaway where they're in the hotel room and you know and uh mcqueen's got the shotgun and stuff I know we're veering from sci-fi, yeah. but that's the scene anyway. All right, so let, there you go. So you, uh, you've had your lot. That's the science file. I think we covered everything there. You don't, that's your synopsis for your your university course. Yeah. Actually, you can do this. Just, just listen to our shows. Um, what we're going to do next, what do you reckon, what are you feeling? I uh, think we spoke about it before about doing cowboy films because I've sort of know a little bit about them, but I think there's a lot there to be. Well, there's, I mean, we could we could cover the, I mean, I'm not as au fait. I mean, there are some cowboy films like western films i could talk about i mean the spaghetti westerns i mean the yeah, clint yeah. E we could i mean what we could do is you could talk yeah by cowboy films i mean clint eastwood films well, <laughs> well i think that might well actually i didn't i only heard recently that the what's the the last film with um oh god he's the director of pub for fiction tarantino once upon a time in hollywood yeah i didn't know that was the name was taken from once upon a time in what was the original cowboy film what in the West? Yeah, in the West. Yeah, I didn't realize. It's yeah, well, it's um, well, Leone also used the same term for his gangster film mm. in the eighties, Once Upon a Time in America. Oh, yeah. right. oh, he did that. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. There you go. So there were. I mean, again, that was another of those movies which was um, again, it was it was shortened in Europe, and then they they it was you know, um, it was along I think along with Heaven's Gate as well, which is I mean, Heaven's Gate's an interesting one to talk about because it's. Although it sank a, although it sank a studio, it actually isn't that bad. It's just a very strange concoction because yeah. um, it doesn't start out as a western. It actually starts out with two guys in Oxford. Oh, okay, I haven't seen so. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, it, it sort of has a climax, a bit like Stagecoach at the end and stuff. But um, but yeah, no, I love um, you know things like the Magnificent Seven, and um, I think as we've talked about today about Outlaw Josie Wales and stuff. So yeah, yeah. right. So we'll have a chat then, decide what cool. we're going to come up with. We'll have you back on in a couple of months. Um, but yeah, keep me up to date with the website stuff. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. Uh, so that you go. That was right. That was science Charles. fiction. Then. We've done yeah. a lot. So yeah. uh, we'll see you next time, John. Thank you very cool. much. Thank you very much. Cheers. 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 Bye everyone. Thank you. Bye. See you later. <laughs> Oh